This podcast is part of the Podcavern Network. Check out other Podcavern shows at podcavern.com. Today, Moth and Butterfly meet a bunch of monks. If you're new to the podcast, you could check out the archives on the website and listen to the episode you've missed. The address is in the show notes. You don't have to, of course, but this is the kind of story where details add up. Welcome to the second episode of The Moth Collection. The Moth Collection. Episode 2. Before the Altar. Matins. The thirty-six knells of the church bells seeped through the walls of the abbey. It took about twenty of them for Father Simon to gather up the strength of will to swing his legs over the side of the narrow bed, and sit, everything creaking, with his bare feet on the floor. He breathed slowly and noisily in the dark, crinkling his nose at the muted smell rolling under his door from the composting toilets the monks had installed last summer. Good for the environment, of course, and good stewardship of God's green earth, no doubt, but his cell was the closest, and every day he was reminded of it. Quarter to four. Matins in fifteen minutes. Well, thirteen now. And he was... Well, he was tired. There was nothing more to it than simple physical exhaustion, brought on by a monk's life of honest toil and an aging body. Fifty-nine years he'd been a Cistercian. Fifty-nine years, God be thanked and praised. And had it come to this? This daily battle against his own decaying innards? His very crumbling bones? You really know how to teach a man humility, O oh Lord, Father Simon whispered with a hint of a grin. He brushed his teeth and had just begun to dress when he heard the door of the cell next to his open and close, followed by sandaled feet drumming against the hall floor, a charming, rabbity sound that receded quickly. Father Simon chuckled. Father Sebastien never seemed to find it difficult to get up for matins. Simon could have been annoyed, he supposed. It would have been only human. But Sébastien was such a good, hard-working, cheerful brother in Christ that it felt churlish to reproach him for what was essentially a sincere, if sometimes puppyish, zeal for life and the monastic existence. In better humor now, he finished adjusting his leather belt and hurried to the church, if the paralytic shuffling that was all he could manage these days could rightly be called hurrying. At Saint-Pierre-dans-la-Vallée, the monks entered the church via a network of private corridors. The brothers had had the abbey built a little over ten years previously with the proceeds of the sale of the old building, which still stood some thirty kilometers away on the outskirts of a little industrial village. Though the first edifice had served them well for almost one hundred and fifty years, it had inexorably become much too cavernous for their dwindling community. There were only twenty-six monks left now, and only one of them a novice. 
This much smaller monastery was stark and modern, all straight lines and grids and no statuary. It contained, in a single integrated complex, a wing for the monks, one for visitors and retreatants, workshops and kitchens where the brothers made a variety of foodstuffs to be sold at the shop some seven hundred meters up the road, and a church. It was set in a valley, hence the name, at the foot of a small, tree-covered mountain surrounded by a fairly elaborate network of well-maintained footpaths. It had won an architectural award, and that was in the guided tour script. The monks filed in, in their vaguely medieval white and brown vestments. Keeping their heads bowed, they crossed themselves with a dab of holy water. They doddered and limped under the inky, phantasmagorical presence of the mountain lowering behind and over the altar through the far wall of the church, a grid of enormous glass panes which looked to the east, straight at the peak. The high-ceilinged room was almost unlit for matins, and the mountain could be divined more than seen. This was late summer, and so the sun would begin to climb out from behind the summit toward the end of the service and Father Simon would once more be here for it, and thank God for it. Some days the clouds turned pink, then red, then a brilliant gold, almost too dazzling to behold. Some days flights of birds crowned the altar in a living spiral of grace. Some days were stormy, and the trees shivered, or even shook with the wind and the rain. And that was just in the summer. The other seasons held marvels all their own. This was truly the church of God's breath and earth, never the same, always effortlessly holy. His morning doubts subsiding, as they always did, Simon looked with love and gratitude on his brothers, sitting on either side of him and across the choir. Then his eyes went to the public pews. Only two visitors sat in those that morning, Torpid silhouettes in the shadows. Simon almost laughed. As the brother responsible for check-ins and check-outs, he knew that there were, in fact, fourteen people on retreat at Saint-Pierre's just now. But Matins was not a service that was particularly well attended by the laity. He blinked as a pleasing but decidedly odd odor hit his nostrils. Something sweet, with a hint of almonds, was it? The startled monks turned to one another. He hardly had time to reflect upon it before it had dissipated and was gone again. As the bells rang and they all stood up, the door at the back of the church swung open before a tall woman with long wavy hair. She strode imperiously into the church, her limp barely perceptible despite the cane. She walked to the stoop, crossed herself with holy water, then sat in one of the back pews. Just in time, thought Simon, amused, though he did not remember a woman who used a cane having checked in. The words of Isaiah were read by Brother Samuel. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. After the service, the monks scattered out. Some had night duties, but most went back to bed until lauds, 
after which the day would really begin. Off to start with the baking, Simon, said Father Sébastien. The caramel will be wonderful today. I have a good feeling about it. Go with God, and I'll see you at church. Simon smiled in return and waved. His way took him past the door to the front desk, which was inside a little cubicle facing the main visitor's entrance. Through the small window set in the door, Simon saw movement, and he stopped. Sometimes visitors had questions, even this early in the day. It was the woman who had nearly been late. In the light of the hallway, she was revealed as a stunning redhead with golden-brown eyes and expertly applied makeup. She was in her late forties and wore an austere but urbane gray-green business suit. Simon had been a priest forty-five years, but he could appreciate the handicraft of the Lord as well as any man or woman. Welcome to Saint Pierre dans la Vallée, he exclaimed in his bright, cracked voice. I have reserved a room. Her own voice was deeper than he expected. Visitors usually arrive mid-morning, not in the middle of the night. I keep odd hours and no mistake. The name is Moth. First name? Just Moth. Simon laughed as he switched the electronic pad on. That's rather unique. We tend to register people under two names. I think you'll find that's not important today. Simon slipped a key through the slot in the window. She thanked him, grabbed the key in her travel bag, and left. Father Simon's gaze lingered on her shapely retreating figure. Then he rubbed at his eyes and went back to his own room for an hour or so of sleep before Lodz. He was breathing a little laboriously by the time he reached his door, but only the Lord knew. Lodz. At half past six, the bells rang again. Moth, who had been reading in her room, closed her psalter and put her foot back on. As she came down the stairs, she received a note from Butterfly. Not her old friend. That Butterfly had died in a house in the voids, and his glistening end still painted the walls of her dreams in sullen red. But the man she thought of as the new Butterfly. For all that it was a decade since he'd taken the label, and even though he'd proven himself both a capable op and a good colleague a hundred times over in that time. She guessed she'd call him the new butterfly forever. A bit unfair, but this turnover of the labels was notoriously difficult to get used to. They all pretended it wasn't, of course. It helped when the new op was an obvious improvement. Moth had liked the new flea an awful lot from the outset, for example, but the contrast there was much starker than the one between the butterflies. She crossed herself. Considering how the old flea had hit the end wall, the thought felt contemptible. In theater, Butterfly's note read, You can't check in just now. The second service of the day is about to start. The second? Moth stifled a laugh. These are monks, Butterfly. They pray and they work. Meet me at the church, on your left, then right at the end of the corridor. Can't I just start looking for the discrepancy? The brief is so helpful. It says whoever it is stands out, 
I wish I knew who writes these things, just so I could curl my lip at them on the elevator. No one's ever seen the briefing department. Not even collection, I don't think. Moth noted, not without sympathy. I'm not sure it's in our building. Or even our division. Spider used to get absolutely incandescent about it. Moth sighed. She missed Spider. Anyway, the thing is, at this time of the day, visitors will either be in the church or in their room. So the church really is the best place to start looking. Just walk in, choose a pew, sit down. Don't talk to people. This is not a chatty sort of place. She sat next to him in the church. There was no reason not to. These days he wore his black hair in waves and his beard neatly trimmed. Moth had to admit he made it work. Behind the altar, the mountain was dark green, almost gray. The day was stuffy, and the clouds lumbered across the sky like teenagers who couldn't decide if they would explode or keep their peace. The forest was almost entirely conifers, but one single white birch glimmered halfway up the cliff, like a reverse shaft of petrified lightning bursting out of the soil. This time there were four other people for the service. None of them gave off any kind of resonance. Not conclusive, of course. The abbey itself resonated strongly. The discrepancy was around, and no mistake. The last of the brothers walked in, heads down, at the end of rounded backs. Moth reflected on the dearth of women on the other side of the railing. Roman Catholics, she thought. After lauds, they went to breakfast. Butterfly, uncharacteristically, really tucked in. There was an enormous bowl of the caramel spread that made the Abbey's reputation, and it was fantastic. As they ate, they observed the other guests. It was not very difficult. Most visitors kept their eyes down on their plate. That one, noted Butterfly. Second from the left. It was a woman, in her thirties, with short, blonde, bobbed hair. She wore a red t-shirt and sweatpants, as though she were planning to go for a walk at some time today. She was biting into an apple. What about her? She tried the caramel and grimaced. She's not going to finish her toast. That's tenuous at best, Butterfly. Butterfly's note was instantaneous. Have you tried this caramel? Terse. At eight, the bells called them to terse. That service was a short but complete mass with Eucharist. Moth and Butterfly sat in the same pews. This always happened in such a place. People formed habits in a moment and held to them and respected those of others. There was no need of words. It just happened as though according to the will of God. Moth would have said that without irony. All the visitors on retreat were in the church for this service. It was early, but normal folk early, not crazy monk and pious penitent early. Butterfly and Moth studied them all, using their eyes, their ears, their nose, 
and a few of the other senses that basic and yearly refreshers at the net awoke and held keen in ops. Butterfly kept going back to the blonde woman with questionable tastes and desserts. She seemed distant, uninterested. Whenever he did feel a tremor from her, what surfaced was disdain, bordering on contempt. Now the mountain was lit by thin spears of white sunlight that stabbed through the murk before fading as the clouds knit themselves back together again, and the tableau behind the altar was biblical indeed. A monk entered, swinging a thurible anemically, like a grandfather clock that has almost wound itself down. Finding the discrepancy using their nose became impossible. The sweet yet acrid scent of incense rolled over the room in an overpowering wave. Le Seigneur soit avec vous, Father Sébastien intoned. Half the monks were priests as well, it turned out. Et avec votre esprit, she automatically responded. There was no significant difference between Roman Catholic and Anglican daily liturgy, so she felt quite at home. The one real difference was that here, the priest would always be a man. Oh well. Butterfly didn't join in. He kept his attention on the blonde woman. There's something off about her. She's not participating at all. Neither are you. I'm Jewish. Are you? Moth had not known that. Yes, this feels very foreign to me. Christianity has always looked to me as though someone put a funny hat on the statue of Moses. The Gospel reading was Luke 10, from verse 25 on, the well-known bit where Jesus turns the table on the doctor of the law who's trying to trap him by leading him to quote the most important principles in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus then tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. Father Sébastien leaned heavily into the old wheeze for his homily. Moth's attention wandered for a while. And then the doctor of the law says, And who is my neighbor? Sébastien peered over his lectern with a twinkle. Who is my neighbor? Oh dear, that is baldly stated, isn't it? Such a fair question, too. Bravo, doctor of the law. Of course, it's easy to meet a person I like, a person I love, a person who makes me laugh or who smells good, and say, ah, hello, neighbor. Sébastien's eyes widened as he appeared to see through every soul in the church. Moth found herself listening, after all. A person I mistrust, however, a person I despise, a person I've been taught to hate. Now that's more difficult. And yet, as the Good Samaritan demonstrates, and make no mistake, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he told that now banal story. This sermon was extempore, that was obvious. Jews couldn't stand Samaritans, you see. I don't even know who the Samaritans were, noted Butterfly. He was one of the rare ops at the net who was not religious. The parable doesn't quite work anymore, Sébastien said. 
Not for us. It doesn't have the same sting. Because Samaritan is just a word to us, but to the doctors hearing the story from Christ's lips, well, the priest had truly jumped the tracks now. Let me tell you right now, my friends, they were shocked, scandalized. Blonde woman blushing, Butterfly noted. Something is happening. And what the good Samaritan demonstrates is this. And just like that, Father Sebastian was back on message and pressing home his point. Scratch a person you'd rather not see, and you just might find a good and kind soul. He beamed at his audience with a delight that was near enough to smugness. She thinks he's talking about her, noted Butterfly, or to her. Our heart rate has gone off the charts, I'll give you that. But then this is the place for this sort of thing. It's her. Ten minutes later, to Moth's surprise, the blonde woman took communion, her eyes hazy with the promise of tears. Sext The bells sounded again at quarter to noon for sext. Moth and Butterfly stood just outside the paneled front door of the abbey. It was not raining yet, and perhaps it wouldn't, but the day would keep them guessing to the end. The blonde woman went past them, flashing a shy look in their direction. She had knotted a green bandana about her head and walked with a purposeful tread toward the starting point of the hiking trails. With her red t-shirt, she looked dressed for Christmas. She stopped for a second or two as she read the signage, then decided on a direction and disappeared into the brush. Butterfly pouted. I'm following her. I don't have to be at this office. Fourth one of the day and it's not even lunchtime. If anything, the walk will do me good. There are many other visitors to the monastery, you know. I know. You'll be checking them out while I trapes up the side of the mountain. But I don't think I'm wrong. I may well take a walk myself later today, said Moth. Be careful. Keep in touch, and don't sear her until we can go in together. I know what the protocols say this week, Moth. Sext was sung psalms in French. Moth had a fine mezzo voice and could sight-read this simple music easily. She always loved joining in during offices. Back at Nethouse, she often attended Evensong with Cicada at the Anglican Chapel, even though Cicada, bless her, didn't think much of the restrained style of psalmody that Moth preferred. In return, Moth accompanied her wife at the Malagasy Lutheran Sunday service and swayed and clapped as well as any Anglo-Saxon redhead with a wooden foot could. All in all, it balanced out all right. Butterfly's note interrupted her flow. Rupture along the path, it said. What kind? What, you mean what division? Hell, I don't know. I'm not like you. I'm terrible at identifying these things. Does it matter? It's just a bit of beach flip-flapping between the trees here, getting caught on branches as it drifts. Not actually sure it's on Earth. Light's weird. Beautiful, super bright, sunny day, wherever it is. I'm damned if I can see any clues to timestamp. No buildings, no people. 
but I'm bloody well looking at a rupture, Moth. Moth had lost her place in the song. Why would there be a rupture because of a discrepancy who's just visiting the place for a few days, she wondered. These things take time. Father Simon dropped to the floor with a short gasp and a long groan. Moth's training took over. She was immediately kneeling next to him, taking his pulse and comforting him while keeping Butterfly updated. Later, the monks would tell the story of how she seemed to fly over the pews to come to Simon's side, cane or no cane. And they would remember this day for a long time. The miracle that saved Simon's life would become part of Saint-Pierre's lore into the next generation and beyond. It took her only a minute to ascertain that, clutching at his chest though he was, this was no heart attack or anything immediately life-threatening. So, Butterfly noted, He's not going to die in the next few hours? Not unless something worse happens. Forget about it, then. We don't want to break the containment before we find the discrepancy. This was cold, but she knew Butterfly was right. She raised her head and called out, loudly, to make sure the brothers and the visitors all heard her. It's Angina. Give him some space. Let him breathe. A distraught Father Sébastien had hurried to his friend's side. He leaned in and stared at her. His face was drawn. Surely we should call an ambulance. She shook her head, though she hardly felt good about it. He needs calm and rest. Sending him to a crowded hospital in a screaming car won't help. Sébastien gave her a heavy-lidded sort of look. Are you sure? he asked which she found surprising. Well, some people resisted the containment blur better than others. Simon's skin was flushed. He was trembling. She put her hand on his shoulder and sent waves of peace into his body. She did not make him sleep. That would have looked like he'd fainted and sent everyone in a panic. His eyes flickered and he smiled placidly. Thank you he said, the words like bubbles breaking the surface of a pond. Then he noticed his colleagues stooped over him and became more animated. Hey, Sébastien, are you all right? Am I all right? Sébastien said. Oh, my friend, are you? Simon's laugh turned into a cough. Still fighting the good fight of the faith. His tone was playful. Let's get him back to his room, Moth said. Help me get him up. Simon's eyes lost some of their sharpness. His gaze wandered blearily, then landed on Moth again. His mouth drifted around a knowing smirk. Moth had an uncomfortable feeling that he was just about to say something untoward. People in medical distress lost their inhibitions sometimes, and she knew she had a bit of an effect on men. But to her surprise, what he eventually said was, What happened to your foot? Would you believe I lost it on the moon? She said. Father Simon giggled at that, as though it was the funniest thing he'd heard in weeks. Sébastien glared, but kept his peace. He turned to Brother Guy, gave a small shake of the head, and said, We'll get him to bed. Finish without us. I've lost her suddenly noted Butterfly. 
Who? Moth was confused. The woman I was following. Either she's back at the abbey or she got eaten by a bear. Bit busy here, Butterfly. In any case, if she's the discrepancy, we'd have to give that bear a medal. Moth wrapped Simon's arm around her shoulders, and with Sebastien's help, stood up in one smooth movement. It was remarkable how little the loss of her foot handicapped her. They supported Simon between the two of them and helped him leave the church. Within a few minutes, he walked more or less on his own. Moth didn't trust it. She could feel the flutter in his heartbeat coursing along his bony arm on her neck. None. At half past one, Father Simon heard the bells announcing none, and for a moment he almost looked as though he was about to sit up. I think not, Simon, said Father Sebastien with good natured concern. He sat in his friend's cell, next to the bed, a psalter in his hands. He'd been praying as his old comrade dozed. Better not move. You're still looking a bit peaky, truth be told. I haven't missed an office in seven years, grumbled Simon, fussing with his unbuttoned shirt, and I'm not about to start now. I'll miss it with you. The Lord will not mind. I don't believe he is as much of a fuss budget as we make him out to be. Simon shook his head, tickled. He couldn't stay upset at Sébastien. The man just exuded the most authentic pastoral solicitude Simon had ever witnessed. Well, then, he groaned theatrically, at least we know which psalms they're doing. Shall we pray? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Two hours later, as they were discussing this verse, there was a knock at the door. Moth came in, wearing outdoor sports clothes. She looked as though she had just gone through a moderate amount of physical exertion. I wanted to see how you were, Father Simon, she said. Simon's face lit up with genuine delight. I feel much better, thank you. Sébastien, have you met the singularly named Moth? Yes, of course. She helped me bring you back here from church after your little incident. Don't you remember, Simon? Did she now? I must have been a little more shaken than I thought, Simon said. Did you go for a walk, Moth? I did, in fact, she answered. This place feels like it's all a big church anyway, even the mountain and the forest. Hmm. Are you of the faith? Sébastien asked. The question was not an idle one. A surprising number of visitors, in fact, were not. A diffident note warmed itself into her tone. After a fashion, I'm Anglican. They took it cordially enough, but she felt the need to insist. I got married a few years ago, you see, and with the best will in the world, your church would not have married my wife and me. Simon chuckled. The church is not perfect, Sebastien said. We who fulfill a pastoral role in the world learn that quickly. Neither of us wishes to become Pope. God help the poor man. I hope you are both very happy. I know I am, she said, her heart swelling. 
and God willing I'm making her so as well. We got married rather late, so it all feels a bit urgent. That's nice then, said Simon. She smiled feebly. She wished Cicada were here. It would even have helped the job along. Moth's wife was very good at ferreting out discrepancies. The place was resonant as almost no other Moth had ever been in, and yet it felt as though the discrepancy was cloaked, protected somehow. Butterfly had found the blonde woman in tears as she was coming out of her room, and for want of a clearer goal, he'd gone back to tailing her. She was in the church, praying, and being pretty ardent about it. Butterfly had taken his psalter as a prop, and he sat in the northern back pew even now, pretending to pray as well. I'll give her until, what is it, vespers? His note had read. The five o'clock thing. I'll give her until then, and if I'm still unsure, I'm saying discrepancy aloud. Will you be around? I'll be at vespers, yes. She'd noted back, getting ready for her hike. And protocols demand that we both be here if one of us uses the trigger. I expect you to refrain if I'm not there. The protocols will be different next month. For someone who never hesitates about searing a discrepancy, you really are remarkably fussy about these things. Moth had left this last note unanswered. Butterfly did not know her that well after all. Sébastien coughed, bringing her out of this reverie. Moth, will you pray with us? He asked, looking at his bedridden friend with worry. She knelt down next to the bed. Vespers At five in the afternoon, the bells called them all for Vespers. Moth and Butterfly walked in together. Moth felt as tired as she had in months. Her limp was more pronounced. The clouds had finally lifted, and the mountain was drenched in that late afternoon sunlight that makes the green of the forest look almost yellow. The lone white birch up the cliff behind the altar gleamed like a sliver of crystal. The cross on the altar was crisply limbed in the glow of the waning of the day. Moth felt her spine unfurl. When the blonde woman came through the door, she was on her phone. A notable lapse, but she was in her own world. I've changed my mind. Please call me back. We can all have dinner or something. Give me a chance. I'm sorry I was being... I'm sorry. I love you. She hung up crossed herself with holy water, and sat just in front of Moth. She buried her face in her hands and sobbed quietly. I'm going for it, noted Butterfly, and before Moth could say anything one way or the other, he had leaned forward with all the appearances of concern. A professional reflex made Moth's hand reach into her purse and tighten on her searer. You all right there? The woman swung round. Startled, she wiped the snot atop her upper lip as her reddened eyes darted between the two of them, reminding Moth of guppies in a tank. Yes, the woman mumbled. It's nothing. Thanks. Butterfly's head tilted to the right by about thirty degrees. 
Well, it's not nothing, come on. The state you're in, and that of the rest of us in the room. Bit of a discrepancy, wouldn't you say? Don't take this the wrong way, Butterfly, Moth noted, her mouth working. But that's officially the most awkward use of the trigger I've heard in at least a decade. I mean, this is Christmas party presentation material. He ignored her and remained at the ready. The woman looked at him as though in a dream, and the blurry mind magic of the containment did the rest. My sister. She wants to marry someone I... someone I disapproved of. My reasons were not... My reasons Butterfly were not nodded, and would go on nodding mechanically through the rest of the short conversation, even as he grunted generic words of comfort. But he had stopped listening. Okay, you were right, he noted shaking his head minutely at Moth's sly grin. Back to square one. They settled back and listened to Brother Guy play the smallish pipe organ on the left-hand side of the transept. Its sound was warm and reassuring. During the Magnificat, a golden eagle swept over the Sea of Spruces. It was a good enough hunch, Butterfly. Sometimes they don't pan out. They separated again after dinner. Butterfly's desultory plan was to pace back and forth between his room and the reading nook, wraith-like, feeling for resonance through the doors of the other rooms. For her part, Moth followed her heart and went to Father Simon's cell again. Sébastien's flattened voice invited her in when she knocked. He rose from his kneeling prayers and held out his hands to her. His face was ashen. He's taken a turn for the worse, he said. I really think we should send for an ambulance. Let me check on him, she said, her manner reassuring. Once again he looked at her more penetratingly than she was used to within containment, but he did step aside and let her approach the bed. Simon recognized her and tried to smile crookedly. His veined hand fluttered upward, then tumbled back down onto the covers, without much of a sound. Father Simon's in a bad way, she noted to Butterfly. What do you think? Do I let them call an ambulance? What are his chances? I think he's about gone. Then protocol says no. This is absurd. No ambulance when he's in no danger. No ambulance when he's about to die. It's like that Jam Tomorrow joke in the Alice books. We all have to go sometime, Moth. Pray with me for his soul, she said sadly. Sebastian's eyes filled with tears. Do you mean he's... We're minutes from it. I'm sorry. Sebastian knelt down again, stiffly. He took his friend's hand and began to pray in Latin. There was another knock at the door. It was Brother Guy, bringing in tea and biscuits on a tray. She motioned him in, resting a finger against her lips. The monk nearly crumpled when he saw Simon's wan features floating on the thin pillow. Moth rescued the tray and laid it atop the small writing desk built into the recessed work area at the foot of the bed. Then they all knelt in a neat row, along Simon's shivery body. Oh, 
They prayed for what seemed like a day by Moth's slippery reckoning. She listened to Simon's breathing as she prayed. It slowed, then accelerated, then stopped, sometimes for so long that she felt sure he was finally released, then started again. Simon's pallor was so stark that his skin appeared to blend with the eggshell of the bedclothes. The space between each of the old man's breaths lengthened progressively into an infinite expanse of faith. They waited. They waited and waited, unconsciously holding their own breath until their lungs hurt. And when Brother Guy finally gulped in a great ragged ribbon of air, Moth knew Simon was beyond their prayers. Sébastien began to weep. A second later, Guy stood up, wiping his cheeks. Moth crossed herself. Father Sebastian frowned at her, with a splinter of accusation in his eyes. It was fleeting, and she could see he hated himself for it. There was a peculiar pause. As Moth was about to offer her condolences to the brothers, Sebastian closed his eyes tightly and seemed to come to a hilltop of peace, or at least to a decision. Ignoring her, he turned back to his stilled friend bowed his head until it touched the side of the bed, and whispered, Lord, your servant still has work to do on this earth. Please, we are not ready. Moth gaped. Guy behind her simply took it in stride and resumed his praying. O oh God of consolation and comfort, recited Sébastien, slipping his fingers through Simon's again. When you appeared to the mourning women near your tomb, you said, in your infinite mercy, do not be afraid. Simon is a good man, a good servant, a good brother, a good friend, who is not afraid of death. He's fought the good fight of the faith all his life and left the world richer every day for having been in it. We humbly petition that you let him fight the good fight with us for a while longer. But thy will be done, O Lord. His voice broke. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen, said Martha dramatically, crossing herself again and closing her eyes. How long did they remain in silence? Her reckoning was becoming fuzzy. After some time, she sensed... What? Heedless of Christ's counsel, she looked around, fearfully. Was that a carmine glow, irradiating from both Sébastien and Simon's entwined hands? It was difficult to tell. Moth couldn't have sworn that she saw it, but something was happening. She would have thought herself very pig-headed indeed to deny it. 
Simon's body seemed to become firmer and more vibrant in small, spiraling waves that began at his knuckles and expanded outward until the very tip of his close-cropped hair started undulating, as though under a light wind. His sunken cheeks filled out and took on a pinkish glow. Moth felt Brother Guy take a startled step back. Simon's eyes popped open. He turned his head to them sharply and grinned. I feel rather good, he said. Compline The sun cast the shadow of the church onto the mountain behind it as the bells called the unusually effervescent monks to Compline. At 7.30 in the evening, Compline was at the service where the brothers thanked the Lord for the day he had given them and prepared their souls for the rest of the coming night. Moth and Butterfly sat together in the same pew they'd sat in for every service. The woman with the blonde hair, two rows down now, seemed peaceful with no hint of self-consciousness. Perhaps she'd heard from her sister. Moth followed the service with earnest zeal. Father Simon was not in attendance. He'd wanted to come, had insisted he felt better than he had in years, but Sébastien and Moth wouldn't hear of it. Brother Guy had talked, of course. There was precedent. Had not the people who had witnessed Jesus healing a deaf man told of it far and wide, though admonished to keep their peace by the Lord himself? Simon's healing was a miracle. And even when one is predisposed merrily to accept the truth of miracles, they did not happen every day. One could forgive the monk's atypical agitation. At the end of the service, Moth quickly stood up and walked to the line of men leaving the church by the transept. Father Sébastien, she called out, not very loudly. They all stopped anyway. This was highly unorthodox. Sébastien turned to her with a benevolent air. He gestured cheerily to his brothers, who started on their slow, tectonic forward movement again. Will you walk with us for a moment, Father? Moth asked. Butterfly joined her and stood a few steps behind her, his hands jammed into the pockets of his trousers. They went out into the night. Sébastien's tread was guiltless and without fear. There was a wooden bench at the end of the entry path. The air was warm and clear, scented with spruce, strewn with the glittery torrents of stars that city dwellers rarely saw. Moth and Sébastien both sat down. Butterfly remained standing. You've been here a long time, by my reckoning, she eventually began. Yes. The other monks don't really understand how long, do they? said Butterfly. Please let me do the talking, noted Moth. They probably couldn't answer with any kind of certainty, no, admitted Sébastien with a rueful grin. God called me here, you know. He called me from where I was before. I was alone. For an eternity I was alone, filled with rage and longing, filled to the brim with despair and with a thirst for the truth. 
he really did talk like a priest. I burned with a desire to serve, to be a vessel for a force more powerful, a force better than I was. I knew that could be. I knew it. I sensed it. I prayed forever. He paused, letting his memories play out behind his closed eyelids. And the Lord took pity upon my sinning heart, and he led me through to this church. He grinned. Well, to the previous one, actually. In the old abbey, you understand. I was responsible for the logistics of the move to this one, ten years ago or so, by my brother's reckoning. Think on it, Maud. Of all the places I could have emerged into, I walked directly into a monastery, and the monks accepted me as one of their own without a second glance. What were the chances of that? To leave my desert without looking and step inside the very church where I would work for the rest of my life in the service of God. He's insane, noted Butterfly. They all are. Moth tried to tune him out. What you did for your friend was beautiful, she said. I did nothing. It was God's work. Will you leave on your own recognizance? The discrepancy shook his head sorrowfully. I am where the Lord wants me to be, Moth. Butterfly saw a rupture this morning. Your presence is causing it, you know that. That means nothing. What is a bit of one world drifting into another one now and then, compared to the infinite love of God? You won't convince him, Moth. There's no reason to sear him, she noted. Listen to him. Spider's paranoia casts a long shadow, Butterfly noted tartly, clicking his tongue. Father Sebastien, Moth said, despair creeping into her voice. If you don't leave this place of your own free will, I won't have a choice. He stared at her, his gaze forthright. You do what you need to do, Moth. I will do the same. And may the Lord have mercy on both our souls. She took out her seer. If he was afraid, he hid it well. Please, she begged. It doesn't have to end this way. He knelt at her feet. I know this is difficult for you. It's all right. You will be fine. God was with me during all those ages. He was with me when I came here. He has been with me during my long life of faithful labors in this house, through my joys and sorrows, my certainties and my doubts, my scant virtues and my innumerable sins. And he is with me now. You know it. I can see that you feel it as well. The discrepancy's shoulders rose and fell. If this is to be the day the Lord has chosen to gather me back to Him, so be it. My heart shall be light as I leave. He put his hands together and began to recite the Lord's Prayer. Moth joined in, haltingly, at que ta volonté. Et ne nous laisse pas entrer en tentation, mais délivre-nous du mal, they recited together. 
Moth, who was not a Catholic after all, nearly plowed on with the car c'est à toi qu'appartiennent le règne, la puissance et la gloire doxology. Amen. Amen. They both whispered, their eyes fixed on one another, deep into one another's, gold to blue. Sébastien never blinked. She seared his head off. He turned out to be made of tar, but as his kneeling body began to lose its shape and widen into a mound of glistening goo, something happened that neither moth nor butterfly had ever seen before. The turgid stuff began to glow from deep within itself, as though the tar was transmuting to molten glass and swirling around a tiny golden sun. The remains were still pulsing a deep coral as the clean-up crew were putting them into the vial. Butterfly stepped up to Moth. For a moment he looked as though he was about to put his hand on her shoulder, then seemed to think better of it. Do you want me to call collection? Rough day for you. She held up her own hand decisively enough, though her fingers trembled a little. No, I think this one should come from me. She turned her back on him and made the call. Report, said Collection. He sounded older. He was older, and so was she. Discrepancy straight-lined, Moth said. Cicada had a tendency to speak quickly and excitedly when she communicated with Collection and to bounce around as she talked. Moth had a different way about her. This was the most clinical report she had ever given in a lifetime of clinical reports. After collection had hung up, Moth sat back down on the bench, heavily. The containment was lifting. Let's go, she told Butterfly. I need to kiss my wife, and then I have to go to confession. This is Vincent Lauzon. I hope you enjoyed this second episode of The Moth Collection. If you did, by all means tell people about it. I'd be ever so grateful. And come visit the website, which has a bunch of fun things and extras. The glossary gets updated after every episode. The address is in the show notes. So this butterfly wasn't the butterfly we met in the first episode. Oh well. We'll jump around the timeline a bit in this series. Keeps us on our toes. The Moth Collection is written and read by Vincent Lauzon. Production by Transuranic. I hope you'll be back in two weeks for another episode of The Moth Collection.
Have you ever seen those lists on the internet that's like top 5 sandwich toppings, top 5 movies of the year, top 5 celebrities who have a very punchable face? You know what I'm talking about. The point is, all these lists drive us crazy because we have no idea who made them and how they even narrowed down their top 5 list. That's where my podcast comes in. My name is Tung La and I am the host of Ranked, top 5 lists of stuff that don't matter. In every episode, with the help of a motley crew of self-proclaimed experts, we debate, battle, and work together, showing you the entire process of how we got there, to create a top 5 list of any and every topic we can think of, like top 5 brunch menu items, top 5 fictional dogs, top 5 90s songs, top 5 Steves? The list goes on and on, and we will not rest till we rank basically everything. So join us every second Thursday in the pod cavern for ranked top five lists of stuff that don't matter. Top five, top five, top five.